You are listening to episode three of Dr. Bubble is your new therapy. Hey, what's up? I am back. I have no better excuses to make, but life did happen. So I haven't been able to finish my episode three. I was hoping to talk about something a little bit more personal, but my heart told me I got to get back to my true crime channel. So here I am entertaining those who requested. I am to please. You are listening at your own discretion. Please cover one ear. You have been warned. Today, I'll be talking about a case where famous people were involved, specifically Hollywood players, particularly Playboy Mansion, Playboy Bunny, Playboy Cubs. Yes, we are going to dive deep into that word. Are you ready? I think the story will make you cringe. It is fucking wild. Well, like any other true crime story. So I'm sure you've heard story about talents, supermodels, actors, actresses were found at the most random places you could ever think of in Los Angeles. Imagine you work at Walmart and Andre Muschietti walked by and discovered you and thought, Oh my God, you'd be a great fit for my character in the It movie. You know, that movie with a bunch of kids bonding over killing a clown? Yeah, that's the one. Mm -hmm. So we are going to talk about Dorothy Strand. This story originally took place in Canada. So some of you might have heard her name. Some of you might not know her at all if you're too young. But she was pretty big at the time in Hollywood. Before we dig deep into what happened, let's explore Dorothy's background. She was actually working at her local Dairy Queen for four years. And if you don't know what Dairy Queen is, it's an ice cream store. Moving on, Dorothy was working there when she was like 14. And she was one gorgeous woman, tall and blonde and young. And the reason why she got so famous and people loved her when she moved to LA was because she had this coveted, sexy, but innocent look. People always compared her to one of the first idea of the girl next door. She really succeeded in portraying that image and it wasn't anything intentional. She didn't really know that was her advantage and specifically men loved it. We're gonna get into it. It's very intense. Okay, I got sidetracked. Back to Dairy Queen, the ice cream store. She was leaving with her younger sister and her mom at the time. Her mom was a single mother, and I don't think Dorothy really knew much about her dad. Her mom was trying really hard to support the whole family on her own as a lunch lady at a cafeteria, and it just wasn't making ends meet. And that's why Dorothy got a job at Dairy Queen when she was only 14. She was very hardworking, you know, when you read news or watch a movie or a show or read a book and see this character who makes a certain decision and does something and you go, that would never happen to me. She's just dumb. But I really think it's all about what timing it all happened. Did you have a good day, a bad day? Did you have a fight, a conflict? Did you get distracted because of something just happened? And also how you were raised would affect your decision-making. 
And so Dorothy was heavily influenced by her current situation she was in at the time. She knew deep down that she wouldn't have been able to have a brighter future like her peers. And she never truly felt beautiful. She had these very thick, luscious lips, and this was back in the days, way before the Kardashians, way before the lips kid, way before all of that. Thin lips were a thing. People were digging them. And some of them were making fun of her, called her, she looked like a duck and stupid. People were just fucking me and being a bunch of anus hole about it. So that made her very insecure about her lips and also herself. Nobody really told her that she was pretty. I'm not sure if this would be a way to explain the situation she was in, but people basically psychologically analyzed the mentality that Dorothy was having. And the fact that she didn't have a father figure in her life really led to why she felt gravitated towards male attention. Like it was very new to her. It wasn't like she had daddy's issues or anything like that. Nah, it's just different and kind of unique when it didn't happen to her every day. I don't want to use the word naive, but Dorothy really thought the best in people, which would have been okay, except she met Paul Snyder. Paul is the evil part in the story. Paul Snyder rode up one day to DQ to get some ice cream when Dorothy was working at the counter. He was driving a black Corvette and he was wearing a floor length mink coat. He had his silk dress shirt unbuttoned. His hairy chest was out and he, he's got gold jeans on. And to give you a little sneak peek of who the heck this guy is, because he seemed to not really have a great flow of income in his bank account. But how could he afford a Corvette or a mink coat? They are not cheap. Or even the lifestyle he was having, because his entire career was built on the backs of other people. So he was using other people, he was an opportunist, that's what people called him, and he wanted a lot of money, but he never wanted to work for it. He thought the easiest way to do it, to earn money, was to groom women. So he became the local pimp. He was actually called the Jewish pimp. They called him that because his family was Jewish. He was born in Vancouver, Canada, he had a legitimate business as a promoter for auto shows at the Pacific National Exhibition, but he wanted more. So he turned to the Rado Crowd, a drug gang in Vancouver, but the Jewish punk with a black Corvette could never quite pull off the big score when it came to drugs because he actually hated drugs. A fellow gang member said this about Snyder later on, Nobody trusted him that much, and he was scared to death of drugs. He finally lost a lot of money to loan sharks, and the router crowd hung him by his ankles from the 30th floor of a hotel. He had to leave town. Snyder ended up in L.A., where he tried pimping on the fringe of Beverly Hills Society. And after a few near misses with the law and woman who stole from him, he ran back to Vancouver, where he met Dorothy. You know the saying, make your money work for you? That's what Paul Snyder was trying to get at. He was desperately looking for a stable source where he would have access to unlimited supply of money. Honestly, everyone or the majority of us are on the same boat, Paul. Get it together. You are not special. 
And when his eyes set on Dorothea DQ, he went, oh, oh, hmm. At first, he was thinking, I'm going to get another girl on my roster. And he started talking to her. He realized at that moment, she's special. She got potential. So we are talking the 70s here. Playboy was making it big. They hadn't fully reached a peak yet. Jofi actually helped them to reach a peak. But prior to this, they were very up and coming. They had the Playboy Mansion. They had the crazy parties. All the producers, director, all the A-list celebrities were all there. And the Playboy empire was starting to form and becoming a dominant force. You know this time period was being known as freedom of sexualization. So women felt freer because there was no stigma around showing a little more skin. And women who made it to the Playboy cover, they were sexy and they knew it. And a lot of men didn't like that, the look, I mean. And if you get into that state of mind, that's what Hugh Hafner was saying, all right? So he said that men liked someone who's attainable, still unapproachable, like a girl next door. Maybe she lives next door to you. Maybe you could run into her at the grocery store one day. Whereas these beautiful women on the covers exceeded their reach too far away. You know they're in Hollywood. You know you will never get to meet them at Walmart. So bottom line is, Hugh Hefner would have made more money if he was able to find someone who has the look of the girl next door. Because more selling of the fantasy. There was an idea that a lot of men at the time when they were buying these Playboy magazines, it was the fantasy they bought into. And sometimes that fantasy can be um, variety. And Paul Snyder, although an idiot, still knew that Dorothy could be his new investment. And he started the process of grooming her. If you watched a couple of interviews of Dorothy, you see that she's a very attractive woman. But when she talks, she sounded honest. And it wasn't even like faked innocence. It wasn't like playing coy, like, ooh, what does that eggplant mean? Yeah, so she was super reserved. Paul didn't want to use her on this roster as a pimp. He saw her as his meal ticket since the first moment he talked to her. He never loved her. This is very pertinent to the story, okay? What Paul wanted was to become Hugh Hefner, but he didn't want to work hard or put in any real effort like Hugh Hefner. All he wanted was to cling onto somebody who would do all the work for him. After the first encounter at DQ, he started to make his move on her. Okay, so going as far as taking her to her prom at high school in her last year, and he was like 27 year old at the time. You can't not see my face right now, but my eyes rolled so quickly that I could almost see at the back of my head. Paul started buying her things and dresses and jewelry, giving her lots of attention. And Dorothy never received any male attention, never thought she was beautiful, suddenly had someone who went out of his way to spoil her. Also said all the right things. And Dorothy fell for it. They were seeing each other for her, they were dating. But for Paul, it was just a fucking investment. All he could see was dollar sign. Paul's motive at this point was to push her more into a bigger market, like the movie market we're talking about. She was super shy, reserved, nervous, anxious about everything. But he was really trying to convince her that she was beautiful. Not with any pure intention, but to capitalize on it. 
At this point, Playboy was 25 years old, and they were planning for the biggest celebration for it. So Hugh Hefner said for this 25th anniversary, we are going to have a Playboy contest. And I'm not sure if you know a lot about Playboy and how it recruits. I had to sort of do a little Google search to find out more. Typically, they never recruit it through contest. They recruit by getting referrals or model listings, etc., but not this time. Anyone in America can be the next playmate and you will be on a magazine cover. It's like winning America next top model. Comes fame, comes money, comes brand deals. So imagine the glamour of that. And Paul Snyder hearing this, he went, she's going to enter the contest. Dorothy is. At first, Dorothy was very hesitant. She was incredibly uncomfortable. She didn't want to do it. And Paul manipulated her into doing a nude photo shoot to send to Playboy to see if she can enter the audition. Anyway, they did it. They got the shoot done. Paul sent the photos to Playboy team and she got in. Playboy was going to have a big, massive mansion party with all the contestants that were finally accepted to come. They were going to do more photo shoots and Hugh Hefner would look at the pictures and pick the lady who'd be the 25th year playmate to go on the cover. The honor of that is insane. So Playboy does Playmate of the Year where they would pick one playmate to post for the whole magazine and that's their year. Just to give you guys a better picture of how crazy this is. Dorothy and Paul got onto the plan and headed to LA. There was the saying that LA people loved small towners because a lot of people in Hollywood are or came from small towns. They didn't grow up in LA or Beverly Hills, you know? Dorothy was exactly the perfect amount of small town. But Paul, on the other hand, came from even a smaller town. So why did I say that? He would show up with a state of mind that rich people would wear this, but rich people didn't wear that. And he would talk about things he thought rich people talked about, but they didn't talk about that. This was what some of the people at the party described him. He really stuck out like a sore thumb and he didn't even know he stuck out. I'm not saying that it's bad to show up wearing what you wanted or, you know, just be who you are. But Paul was just cringy. He was trying hard to rub into everyone's faces that he was part of the gang. He was one of the elites. And even though he was basically Dorothy's plus one, he acted like he was Hugh Hefner, like he owned the party. Finally, Hugh Hefner and his team got together and said, okay, we are down to two finalists and Dorothy was one of them, but she did not win. Hugh saw the potential in her, but he thought it was too soon and she wouldn't have been ready for the cover. And you just didn't want to release someone at the wrong time. So he decided to keep her around until she was ready. And Hugh Hefner actually spoke very high regard of her. So Dorothy was being asked to come to another photo shoot later. Things just happened so quickly in this photo shoot. They also did like a little video of her and everyone suddenly realized that, oh shit, she's gonna go on and do something big. When you look at her behind the scene photos and videos, she wasn't just posing stiffly or like trying to be sexy. She was sure as hell trying, but she was also having fun and she was laughing, giggling. And it just came out so natural. She was glowing. 
they released everything to the public and everyone just fell in love with her immediately. Essentially, at this time, they didn't really pay her yet and they didn't use her too often for photo shoots. She was fairly new. She was still an amateur. All she had on her resume was Dairy Queen while the other girls had experiences modeling for years and years and so they were just a little skeptical about it. They took their time and were slow in making her the icon. And so she decided to work at the Playboy Club. Now, it didn't exist anymore, but from what I gathered, there was a Playboy Club in LA during this time, and it's exactly what you think. So you're a Playboy bunny, and you dress up in the quintessential black bodysuit with the bunny tails and ears, and you serve drinks and food. Dorothy was only... 18 or 19 at that time, I think. And so she couldn't serve alcoholic beverages. She was put to be a hostess at the door to greet people. And everybody loved her. Her career really started from there. She has gotten more requests for photo shoots and things escalated quickly. Within the next year, she's become playmate of the year. Super well-loved. She's become a fantasy for a lot of men, okay? So we have Paul Snyder, yep, still here, planning to be a sleazebag, taking that early retirement and just being an utter human trash. And on the other hand, Hugh Hefner and his Playboy team were having their own plan. And mind you, Playboy was making tons of money. They were killing it. Everybody wanted to make it to the weekly mansion parties. You need to be exclusively on the A-list in order to get in these parties. They did respect his hustle. They loved hanging out, drinking with him. But these A-list producers, celebrities, they never saw him as a peer. They saw him as a guy you go to when you want to have a fun time. And Hugh Hafner was like, well, I was working at twice as hard. And yes, the stuff I produce is not the same stuff Hollywood offers. But this is also art. I'm one of the first people to display and explore the possibilities of portraying nudity onto these magazines. So that was when he thought that he wanted someone to start with him here at Playboy and move to the real industry. And in that way, it shows that he could cultivate talent and she would always be remembered and referred back to him who started at Playboy. It's like when you think of a child star who started their career at Disney, Not even a close example we have here, but this will give you a better insight. Basically, Disney was the entry point for a lot of them. And they grew up to do other things, but people would always remember them when they were at Disney. So this was what Hugh Hefner's plan with Playboy, making it into an entry point. He wanted producers would be looking for him when they needed talent for their movies, whatever that they were looking for. And this was when Dorothy came in the picture. Because obviously, not that she was just sexy, beautiful, photogenic, and has a charming personality, she was also loved by a lot of people in the industry. He was like, okay, Dorothy will be that person. And he actually started growing and helping her to become a real celebrity. He started giving her agents. He also referred her to a money manager, at this point, when, when she won Playmate of the Year, she was making hella money, right? So what was Paul doing at this time? You guessed it, nothing. 
It was very interesting that a lot of times when a woman became playmate of the year, she was married. None of these women were available or single. They were either committed or involved in a relationship. In Jyothi's case, Paul was just no one. He was neither her agent nor her boyfriend. She thought he was, but he wasn't doing exactly the duties of one. He was basically just sticking around like a fucking parasite. And Dorothy was treating him with a lot of love. He really manipulated her into thinking that if it was because of him, she wouldn't have been here in the first place. Now, she actually makes money and she had all of these agencies Hugh Hefner provided. Paul started panicking because he had no role in her life anymore, you know? Like, who's going to pay for my crabby beat up sneakers? So, guess what he did? He proposed to her. Mm hmm. Yep. She was very hesitant. She was like, oh, okay. Like, almost out of guilt. Like, she felt that she was indebted to him. And some people later on were interviewed. Even Hugh Hafner said that we couldn't put a finger on it exactly what was wrong, but we tried to give her the advice that she shouldn't marry Paul. It's just everyone hated him, hated Paul. Hefner later said that he worked really hard not to be an elite pimp, not to portray his girls or make them feel cheap in a Playboy mansion. And what Paul was doing was the opposite of that. And Paul didn't give a shit about Dorothy. He was just disgusting. When they went to parties together at the Playboy mansion, he would try to sleep with other Playboy bunnies until the point that Hugh Hefner said he could never come in unless... Dorothy was holding his hand as a date, walking through that door. But if it was just him coming, claiming that he's here to see Dorothy, then no, just fuck off. Paul had a growing obsession with Dorothy's destiny. It was, of course, his own, right? So he furnished the house with photographs, and he talked about her as the next playmate of the year, the next Marilyn Monroe. When he had a couple of glasses of wine, he would brag, we on a rocket ship to the moon. And Dorothy did confine to her friends later on that, you know, in a position where she could not fail without failing them both. Of course, she did not complain that to him. They had, after all, a lifetime bargain, and he had brought her a long way. Anyhow, she went on to marry him. Everybody was just shocked because at this point, she was pretty big. She had all of America trying to date her. From celebrities and public figures, and you picked this pimp who's nobody and taking advantage of other people. And so comes the Playmate of the Year party, and when you're the Playmate of the Year, they announced it. It's a huge deal. There would be photographers, cameramen, documenting everything that was going on at the mansion and this fine dining. So there's a scene in this video where Dorothy was just looking through an album or a scrapbook of pictures. She was just sitting there flipping through the pages and suddenly Paul, who's sitting next to her, took hold of her hand and grabbed it possessively. She turned and looked at him hesitantly and looked a little uncomfortable, squeezed it briefly and let his hand go. It seems like they were having marital problems at this point, or he just wanted to be an asshole and show 
everyone that who was her husband. Like he was just being super insecure about where he's at. He doesn't want to lose his access to the Playboy Mansion. And there's another part in the video where Paul was talking to Hugh and Hugh Hefner just looked incredibly annoyed. Paul Snyder was spousing off business ideas with Hugh Hefner when this guy just knew nothing. And so Paul Snyder at this point knew that he was only having real access to the Playboy Mansion because of Dorothy. Hugh's not going to call him back. And Dorothy started pushing away because Paul has become increasingly crazier. And one time, she went to a party. She met a man by the name of Peter Bogdanovich, who at this time was a bigger director in the scene. And he's still around and he's still a massive director. I believe he was one of the main directors for It Chapter 2. He was one of the directors for How I Met Your Mother, I believe, and The Sopranos. So he has a very fulfilling career. But at the time, he wasn't as established as he is today. People were saying that he could do no wrong with his movies. Hits after hits, any movie he touched was a success. So he was a very close friend with Hugh Hefner, and he was in the middle of breaking up with someone. So he just wanted to have a good time. Then he met Dorothy at this party. It sounded like it was going to be a sleazy love story, but it's not. Well, kind of. He fell in love with her almost immediately, and she was really charmed by him. And nobody could blame her, really. Paul was manipulative, dishonest, and he didn't love her. So at this point, Dorothy could have figured out that it wasn't love. The relationship they were having was not real. She started questioning about it. And Peter came forward to ask her to be in his next movie. And Hugh Hefner was super supportive of this idea. And because Peter was a great friend of his as well. So Peter told Dorothy that the filming would take place in New York. Everything would be paid for. And I believe the lead role for that movie went to Audrey Hepburn. So yes, this was a pretty big movie. He was hoping Dorothy would play a small supporting role in this movie, but actually, there was no role. He made her a role. It's kind of cute. And also, he added another role for another character who sounded pretty much like him. Just fell head over heel with her, followed her around like a little puppy, you know? Almost everyone who knew them could certainly tell that this was definitely them. The pivotal scene was when the actor who played the guy who was in love with Dorothy's character, and by the way, Peter Bogdanovich wrote this, Will You Marry Me? And her script was, Yes, of course, after my divorce. <laughs> so you all get the picture here. Obviously, Peter wanted Dorothy to divorce Paul, dumb his ass, and be with him. That's my guess. So at the end of the production, she left the hotel she was staying in New York and moved into Peter's condo in New York. At this point, her marriage with Paul already started to drift apart. So she was like, yeah, I need to leave my marriage. I need to leave Paul. He was going crazy, okay? And he wasn't going crazy because the love of his life was leaving him or anything like what we've heard of so often from other true crime stories that involved relationships. He was leaving because 
all his friends thought he was a fool. Oh, you let your girl sleep around like that? And the thing is, it was all over the news. You're talking about a big director and a playmate. They tried to be quiet about it, but people talked. It wasn't a shock to him, but Paul just hated the fact that it embarrassed him publicly. And during this time, Dorothy realized that okay, Paul Snyder is creepy. She really loved Peter, and it wasn't just because Peter was making money or he was successful. This felt like love for the first time for her. Peter asked her to marry him, and she agreed to marry him. And by now, Paul already had all the contact with all the agents that Hugh Hefner gave to Dorothy. He was actively involved in all of the conversations. He wanted to know how much money she was making at all times. Peter convinced Dorothy to switch all of her agents to his because they were better. A lot of A-listers tried to get the referrals and they couldn't. Yada yada yada. So she was like, "Okay, sure." She moved everything to Peter Bogdanovich contacts and agents, including her finance. That's when Paul really lost it because he soon knew he was going to lose the cash. So before she went to New York for the filming, they did a photo shoot, and he was going to blow them up into massive posters, and he was going to sell them. And it was estimated that they were going to sell about a million copies, and he was going to make three hundred thousand USD, which was a lot in the 70s and 80s. With inflation, consider this was a fortune. That way, he could retire or invest his own business. Well, he's a hot dog on a stick, so he would have failed anyways. But to sell them, her managers would need to get Dorothy's approval, like which one they could print and whatnot. So, when they went to her to talk about this, she said, "Actually, I still pay for your time and your work, but I'm not going to sell these posters." And Paul just couldn't do anything about it because he could have been sued if he tried selling them without her permission. And now they are back to LA, and Dorothy moved to Peter Bogdanovich's mansion in LA. She didn't get lawyers involved. She called Paul and said, "Listen, I love you, and we still can be friends, but I can't be with you, and I'm willing to help you to get on your feet if you need it." She was basically offering financial compensation. And、uh, he didn't like that because he wanted 50% of what she made from her career, not a little lump sum of it, but actually half of it. And now he's not her spouse. That ain't included in the book. At this point, Paul Snyder has gone cuckoo. He borrowed a gun from a friend, and his friend was like, "I need my gun back." So he went online and got his own shotgun. There were reports of him just waiting outside of Peter Bogdanovich's house for hours, just sitting there and waiting. Thankfully, they never ran into each other. She told Peter and Hugh that she was going to meet Paul one last time for a closure, and they both convinced her not to go. She should have used a lawyer to get everything sorted out. They both knew how crazy Paul has gone, and they wouldn't trust to have her around Paul at this point. And Dorothy was like, "Okay, but they were married once, and I think a tiny bit of her still believed that they still could be friends, and it was just a misunderstanding she could have fixed." So she agreed to this last meeting with Paul. She went to Peter's house, 
and Peter had two roommates living with him. They both were gone at that time. She went inside, and a couple of hours later, the roommates came home. They saw her car in the driveway. They saw her purse on the stairs, and both of the roommates stay in the living room and watch TV. Hours later, it's just super quiet. Nothing was in motion upstairs, and they were like, "Should we check up on them?" So they went to knock on the door, and there's no answer. They open the door, and what they found was horrifying. Paul Snyder sexually assaulted her. She was completely unclothed, and during the process, he shot her in the face and killed himself right afterward, according to the forensics. Dorothy had apparently been sodomized. Whether this occurred before or after her death was not clear. After the blast, her body was moved, and there were what appeared to be bloody handprints on her buttocks and left leg. Loops of tape, used and unused, were lying about, and strands of long blonde hair were discovered clutched in Snyder's right hand. He had always said he would rather die than go to jail. Paul Snyder. Has a lot of psychological issues. Besides from the fact that he's a shithead, a lot of crime scene analysts and psychologists talked about this. There are two crazy things about this crime scene. So a lot of times, with true crimes where victims were being sexually assaulted, the perpetrator could be strangers or acquaintances, friends, people you know. But it's not as common that your ex partner would do it. And so they concluded why he did that was his only way to gain power and control over Dorothy. And when you shoot someone in the face, there's a deep psychological meaning behind it. You're basically taking everybody's ability to ever see her again because you cannot have an open casket, right? So they were saying that in Paul's head at the time, he had to take her face away—the one that he brought here in the first place. I believe she was 20 years old when she passed. So. This happened in a span of two years, where she started her career at 18, got Playmate of the Year when she was 19. This ruined a lot of people's emotions in the industry, like Hugh Hefner and Peter Bogdanovich. So, what happened to Peter? He ended up taking care of her mom and her little sister financially. He paid for her younger sister's education, paid for rent. The part where it got very messy was he ended up marrying Dorothy's little sister. I think she was like twenty at the time, and he was forty-nine. Everyone was a little uncomfortable about that, actually. Interestingly, psychiatrists say it's not uncommon because your experience is so different. You know, you think that nobody else can actually understand what you were going through. So her younger sister lost her. Older sister, and Peter was losing someone who he loved and was about to marry, and so in some cases, you see people pass away, and their partners would get married with their closest friends, cousins, relatives, or their siblings. But typically, they're very brief relationships because in that moment you think that it's love, and two people come together to overcome loss. 
And when you finally move on to the next stage and feel a little bit better, you realize that you actually don't love the person like you are supposed to. The only mutual thing you connected has dissolved. Some would break up or divorce. But with Paul and Dorothy's sister, they ended up staying married for 13 years. So they divorced in 2001. They still worked together afterward. I think she was in It Chapter 2, like a very small role. Hope you enjoyed today's story. And if you love it, please let your girl know because support is a thing. That's it for today, guys. Bye-bye. And remember to lock your door at night.